So first off, let me just say, Chad, I didn't know you had these skills in you. So thank you. We were at basketball practice on Friday night, and uh, I got the I get the pleasure of helping Chad coach. And um, he goes, I'm singing on Sunday. And I said, I didn't know you could sing. And he goes, well, we're going to find out together. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you stepping. I appreciate all of you guys that have stepped up and, and during the season and just kind of helping out and pitching in. While Julie and I are away, um, one thing that was amazing for us is to be able to get away and relax because we know a couple things. One, we have a, a family that was taking care of our kids, and so we'd have to worry about them. And so mom and dad and my brother, even though... Um, he apparently had a lot of jokes last week about my kids, um, but with all that, um, just thank you guys for taking care of them. We didn't have to worry about it because we knew they were in good hands. And then our, our I refer to Light Point Church as our fourth kid. Um, just somebody, a good friend said, don't worry, you're going to have another kid. It's called your church. And so with that, it was good to know that our church is in good hands when we leave too. And so we were able to relax and have a good time. So Julie and I just got back last Sunday evening from Israel, and uh, she goes, the expectation was for us to get up here and share a little bit, and um, she goes, well, Chad, I'm teaching, so I can't, you got, you're flying solo, so I said, I think I got this handled, we're good. Um, so one of the things that um, I wanted to do also, Donna Lee and Jeff, y'all are here, and so thank you very much. For those of you who don't know, Donna Lee pushed me to go on this trip, Israel wasn't even on my radar. Like when you talk bucket list, I'm like, well, I don't, I get to read about it. Why do I want to go there? And uh, that was my mindset. And so um, she encouraged me heavily to sign up. And then through this organization, uh, Behold Israel, got scholarship to go over there. And so that was amazing uh, for us to be able to go and enjoy. And, and we get there the first night and the, the leader, Amir, goes, my goal this week is to spoil you pastors and your wives. And dang it if he didn't do it. I put on five pounds. I didn't need to put on five pounds, let's be clear. But he just, they just poured. And one of the things I couldn't understand, and Julie and I kept even leading up to the trip, this is people blessing us in certain ways with the trip and with covering airfare and some and different things of that nature. Um, and we, we were there, and Julie and I were like, why, like, why are we here? And everyone said, here's what's amazing. You ever know when other people have expectations for you? Like, I kept, like they have these expectations, like, oh, your preaching is going to get so much better, Chad. You know, <laughs> this is going to change your life. And I'm like, you need to lower your expectations. And, and so, but it was, it was interesting because we, we had all these expectations that were put on us. And we're on the flight going, and we're just like, man, what if we, like, let people down? And, like, we couldn't understand. You ever been in that spot? And so I'm sitting there in Israel and in Tel Aviv, and I'm like, I don't know, one, why we're here to begin with. And the other one is, is like, all these expectations. We've we got to stop this, people. So we're sitting there, and, and, and he gets, we start talking. And, and the cool thing, and there's, so just so you have an idea of what's going on, uh, 20 pastors and their wives and a few others um, were, were uh, chosen for this trip, scholarship, the tour side of it, to go 
all expenses paid except for airfare. Um, and they're from all over the world. So two pastors and their wives from France, uh, one from Latvia, one from Russia, one from South Africa, one from British Columbia, one from the Netherlands, um, one, uh, two from the Philippines, and then a, a, quite a few from the States uh, just came. And what God did amongst these pastors and these, these uh, leaders was pretty amazing. It was interesting um, how God formed relationships and how God brought these pastors together um, into this unique piece of encouraging one another and challenging one another and saying, hey, there's, there's a whole word of God that we need to start preaching, and, and we need to really start looking at that. And so it was really good for me to be a part of. But uh, the, the, So I sat there, and, and knowing that there was this expectation of something that, that would be life-changing, not knowing why I was there or whatever, and then I even realized that, you know what, when I read Scripture, there's some expectations or some perceptions that I have of Scripture that when I actually got to walk the land really didn't add up. And so just to give you an idea, one of the pictures I have for you is the first one here. Um, we talked about the Israelites crossing the Jordan River, right? And so we look at this river and you get a good idea that, you know what, the, the little Miami River is a little bit bigger than this. Just so you have an idea what we're like. So, like, if you go down to uh, the Little Miami Brewery and you look across, like, the Little Miami uh, River's, like, wider than that right there. See that little strip of land there? If you get a good jump off the platform, you could probably hit it. Just don't go any further or the Jordanian soldier may take you away. So, anyway, so you're looking at Jordan on the other side and, and all that. But see that little stream there? And then, I, so I'm sitting there, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, here I told our church that God had to part this in order for the Israelites to go across in order to take over Jericho and to claim the promised land. And I'm like, I think they could have floated across that. And, but then what was interesting is, is, and I didn't show this picture and I'll show you later, but one of the things that was interesting is, is um, remember when I taught on, on um, that particular piece, we talked about it being in flood stages, not to mention the waters dropped a lot, but it was in flood stage when they did it. And so just to give you an idea, there's a flood on a wall behind or in front of me. There's a wall that where if you did this, excuse me, I'm going to get reversed. If you did this, the flood stage would go all the way up to there. And so that had to be parted in order for them to get across. And so it opened my eyes to a lot of expectations or perceptions that I had. See a Galilee? Um, Let's just go to Caesar Creek and maybe a little bigger. Um, not as big as you think. You can stand on one side and see the other. And then the coolest thing is we're out on the Sea of Galilee the first Sunday we're there. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was the Shabbat. Yeah, it was a Saturday we're there. And we get out there and we, and, he go, and we get out to the northern part of the sea and we turn off the boats, which, by the way, they don't do because of storms that come. But God calmed it so much while we were there to hear a message. And he calmed the sea so that we could sit there and listen and, and observe what God had for us. And, he, and Amir goes, hey, hold out your arms like this. And in that you compass uh, Magdala and then Bethsaida. And within that you see two-thirds of the gospel where God lived or where Jesus walked. And it was amazing to be able to walk and be able to see that. And one of the things that was very instrumental for me, and it's the passage I want to share with you today, and this is probably the most meaningful piece for me and all of it, was they took us to um, Caesarea Philippi, and they took us to this, this place where 
Jesus took his disciples. And if you want to go to Mark 16, we're going to start there today. Mark 16, and it's starting in verse 13. Matthew, did I say Mark? Sorry, go to Matthew. I'm, I misspelled it. Go to Matthew. If I misspelled it, I totally robbed it of another whole pad. Don't go to Mark. Go to Matthew. forgot to change it in my notes. Um, Matthew 16, verse 13. And, and what's interesting, just to give you a little, see, when, when you get there and you've got good biblical teachers around you, they give you a better perspective of what's going on. And so that was probably the biggest piece for me is to understand a lot of different things that were going on at the time and, and what, and he gave greater meaning to stuff. And so one of the things that uh, we, they took us to this particular spot, and it was the, by the Benias Spring, and it was Caesar, Caesarea Philippi. And this particular place was um, known for idol worship. And the one particular idol worship that was known, and I got a picture of this particular. So this is uh, the pan god. And if you notice, he's, he's like half man, half goat. And he's got horns on him. And so the idea here was is that um, the god the uh, god Hermes uh, procreated with a, a woman, and this is what came out of it. And out of this, so this is the theory to give you an idea. So this is the pan god. And so when, when this creature was born, what do you think the mother did? What? I didn't hear Jeff. Died, no. She panicked. She gave birth to a thing that had horns and a goat, and she panicked. And what happens when we panic? We scream. So she screams, and she goes into this panic, and so then he, so he becomes the known of the god of pan. Uh, pan, panic, you get where I'm going here. So anyway, so we're sitting there. So the mother didn't really want to, like, so there's, there's God here. And so that what happens is, is um, obviously you can't walk around looking like this, or other people will do what? They'll panic, right? And so he has to find a place to live, and so he goes and finds a place to live in this particular cave right here. Thank you. So right there, obviously the ropes, but if you look in there, and there's a hole. And so the idea was is that this is where the pan god lived. And so what happened if you wanted, if you had fertility issues or if you had prosperity issues or if you had a need that you needed going, people would go there and they would cast babies in there and offer up sacrifices. They'd go offer up humans up here and they would do all this kind of idol worship, uh, pure evil that would take place here. Um, and so they would offer it up to this God, this pan God. And so this was going on here. And some of you are looking at me like this is sick, but the reality of it is, is this is this is how the world was back in that day, and I would even say even today as well. We just don't hear about it. So they would go and they would offer up sacrifices in this particular hole, thinking that out of this that um, they would be blessed. And so to give you an idea, not only that was the pan god uh, worshipped here, but if you go a little beggar, go to that next picture. If you look there, and if you see up on like the little like little window seal places, you can look and see little places, little thing. They would put more gods there, and they would worship different gods. And then I think I got one more picture. See in that area, there was, um, so this was also well known for uh, temple prostitution. So you'd go and you could sleep with a temple prostitute. So let's just say this particular area here was well known for what? Evil. Well known for evil. Well known for corruption. Well known for distraction well known for people who do not follow god 
And so what we get an idea here is this, is that Jesus takes his disciple to, to disciples to the very place that evil exists. It is running rampant. One of the things, the other interesting thing is this particular place is also leading on the way from not only the Sea of Galilee, but from Jerusalem on up to this, uh, Damascus, which is in Syria. Uh, we won't go there yet. Um, so go back. So that, that this was a kind of a stop in the way for them to get there. And so in all of this, we get, we get a better perspective of what's going on and where Jesus is at with his disciples. So he brings his disciples here, and this is what it reads in 13, Matthew 16, 13. It says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be lost in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to, to, to tell no one that he was the Christ. And so we've set, we've set this, this scene for what's going on. All this idol worship and pure evil that's taking place, that has taken place in this particular area. And of all places, Jesus decides to take his disciples is to this place to share something with them. And it's interesting because even in our world, evil is well hidden. If you don't believe me, pay attention to, to what to politics nowadays. Right? Politicians can justify anything they do. And I don't want to get political or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not going to go into that particular realm saying choose this side. Of, that's not what. But if you look at it, there's a lot of lies and deceptions that take place. And they can code over a lot of different things. Not only that, but in, the, in our world, all of a sudden what God has deemed as, as not right, people have deemed as we need to tolerate and we need to accept. What God has said clearly is sin. We now in our world say, you know what, maybe it's not that bad. So let's not fool ourselves in saying that, that evil is not exist, does not exist in our world today or that things are better. Just because we, we can prosper and just because we can make things look better and just because we can live a good life does not mean that evil is not rampant in our world. And so as believers, as followers of Jesus, we have to be aware of this. We have to be present in knowing that there's something better that God has called us to. That there's something that he has for us that is not what the world has to offer, but it's what he has to offer. And if we can make this transition, this shift in our minds to say, you know what? I live in a world that, that is evil, and my job is to be the light in this world because that's what Jesus has called me to do. Then that's what I need to be about. I don't need to shy away from it. I don't even need to be afraid of it. Because sometimes we're, we, like, we see something bad going on and we don't want to address it or we don't want to come, we don't want to do anything. And so what we do is we become passive. And we don't say anything. And here's what I learned in this particular piece when I'm sitting there and I'm standing and listening to this teaching. Is that Jesus was not passive. He went right to the place where evil existed and where it was well known. And he, he asked the disciples this. 
in the midst of all these other gods, in the midst of all this other worship, in the midst of all that's going on in this particular place, he looks at his disciples, the ones that have been following him, and he says, who do the people say that I am? What is their perspective? Who do they perceive that I am? And so they say, well, they think you're Elijah. They think you're John the Baptist. They think you're one of the prophets. And so they give them what everyone else's perspective is or expectation of Jesus is in the midst of all this. And then Peter, what does he say? He comes back and he says, no. So here, so let me just back up. In the midst of all of this, we live in a world today where everyone has their own perspective or their own idea who God is. And it's convoluted. It's messed up. See, just like a lot of times when you get into idol worship or whatever, they like to just mix different beliefs. And they pull together what works. And they, they make it fit for their whole idea and their reasoning. The problem is, as God's word says, that our thoughts are not his thoughts and our ways are not his ways. Meaning that, you know what? My reasoning doesn't match God's reasoning. And at some point, I just have to submit and say, you know what? Your thoughts are way better than mine. And your ways are way better than mine. And I need to just take on who you are and believe in who you are, regardless of what's going on in this world. And so we sit there in this midst, and, he, and so they go through, and he says, go through this piece of other people's perspectives. And Jesus asks this one question to his disciples. And he says this, is what do you believe? And I would ask you this question to yourselves today. What do you believe about Jesus? Knowing what you've heard, what you've experienced, and what, what Jesus has done in your life or in people around you. My question to you today is, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that God's word is true? That he was sent here to give his life for you? That he came and he died and his blood was shed so that you can experience the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life with him? And not only did he come once and he died and he rose again, but not only that, but he's coming again. He's coming again to take his bride home. And he will rule this world again in ultimate authority. And when he rules again at the end of the time, there will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. And he establishes a kingdom. See, a lot of times we can't grasp that particular piece because it's not in front of us. But here's the thing. God's word has been true from the very beginning to the very end. And what he says he's going to do, he has done and he will do. And the question I have to ask myself is this. What do I believe about Jesus? And when I believe, when I make the choice to believe in Jesus, I receive that forgiveness and I experience new life. And so he asked his disciples, what do you believe? 
Because let's be honest, even the disciples, even though they spent all this time with Jesus, seeing him heal people, seeing him do some amazing things, they still weren't sure about who he was. And some of you are like, come on, how could that be? I mean, they've seen him feed 5,000 men. They've seen him do all these amazing things. They've seen him quiet the storm. They've seen all these things. How could you not believe? And I'd ask that to myself. I've seen God do some amazing things in my life and transform my life in amazing ways. Why do I still question whether I truly, whether or not to truly follow him? You see, the disciples were in the same boat. They get to this point where they had an encounter where they sat in an evil place and they experienced a real God who asked them, what do you believe? And Peter, of all people, reads this. It says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, Peter made a rock-solid statement. Peter came in with a rock-solid statement that is unmovable and cannot be touched. He went right at it and said, you are the, the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He didn't mix words. He didn't go around it. He just went right at it. This is who you are. And in the response, Jesus replies this. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be lost in heaven. Let's sit here. Peter made a declaration of who Jesus was. Pointed right to it. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied with who Peter was at that moment. Do you realize that once we give our lives to Christ and we, we, we declare who he is, you're my savior, you're my God. At that moment, we are defined by Jesus. And Peter was defined by Jesus in that moment. And he goes, and the interesting thing in this is Peter sits there and he receives this. I don't even know that Peter understands exactly what he does. And even Jesus points to it and says, you didn't know this on your own. There was another work in you that was able to reveal this to you. It was the work of the Father in his life and his heart to reveal this truth to him. And that's the piece that I think we need to understand is that when we declare who Jesus is, it's because of the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's drawing us to him and that's drawing us into a relationship with him. That it's not because of us and it's not because of me, but it's because of our, our Father in heaven and the Spirit drawing us to him. And so in all of this, Peter, Jesus declares Peter. And tells Peter who he is. On this rock, I will build my church. And there's an interesting piece in this is on this rock can be considered Peter or it can be considered Peter's statement. Peter's statement was what? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. So right there encompassing what Jesus is going to build his church on. And we go into this piece here that I, that I think is interesting. It says, And the gates of hell should not re- re- prevail against it. 
So he's in a place where pure evil is. He's in a place where idol worship's going on, where all th- kinds of unthinkable things are going on. And there's this spring that flows out of this particular place. And let's show that picture for me, David. Please. See this spring, this, this, this body of water here? It was believed that this particular body of water was so deep that it went down to the gates of hell. It was believed that it was so deep that it went down to the gates of hell. And so here Jesus is standing in a place where one all evil and idol worship was going. And there was a place that was believed that it went down to the gates of hell. And he brought up this point of saying, even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Will not prevail against my body. And I find it interesting in all of this. I find it interesting in the places that Jesus spoke to declare who he was and that he spoke life into Peter. And there's something else he did with Peter here that I thought was very interesting. But let's just stop here. There are so many times we worry about the future. We worry about what's next. We worry about other things that may take us out. We worry about all this other stuff. And yet Jesus made a definitive statement here when he says, listen. When you belong to me, when you are my child, when you are a part of my body, not even the most evil of evil, not even the gates of hell can take you out. Did did y'all catch that? Not even all the evil in the world can destroy what Jesus is going to do. And has done. We don't live from a place of defeat. We live from a place of pure victory. We don't live in a place of fear. We live in a place of pure belief. And strength and power. Because of what Jesus said. And what he did. And it doesn't matter what's coming against us. All that matters is my belief in Jesus. And who he is. Because his word is said, not even the gates of hell will take out my church. And he goes on and he says this. And this is the part that I think is not only that. That particular piece, I'll just be very clear. When I got to hear this and I got to see this particular piece, I know this is hard to believe, but as your pastor, I have a lot of fears. One of of my fears is that I'll make a stupid decision and next thing I know I'll lose the church that God has given me. I know that sounds hard to believe, but I've seen it happen to pastors. But one of the things, so there's a lot of different things that go on in my head and fears that I have that I'm constantly trying to push off and, you know, give over to Jesus and just walk in his power. But one of the things that, that this particular piece spoke to me while standing in that place is God said, listen, Chad. Do you not know that I have a work going on in your church that I'm going to continue to work and continue to bring about? And it doesn't matter what's coming against you. I've got you. Doesn't matter what happens. I've got you. Nothing is going to take out my church. 
doesn't matter how evil things get or how jacked up things get. I've got my hand on the church, and it will bring to be what I've called it to be. And it will do what I've called it to do. And I can choose to walk in the fear as your pastor. I can, t- can, I can start or choose to walk in this belief that, you know what? It doesn't matter what comes against us. As a church, we're going to follow Jesus and what he's called us to do. And in this particular piece, so after all this happens and, and Jesus speaks life and declares who Peter is and says, listen, on this rock, I will build my church. He, and he goes into this. I will give, he looks at Peter and says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And all the disciples were there, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize that at this point, Jesus is speaking into a piece into Peter's life and the disciples' life that says, you know what? There's going to come a time when I will not be here physically. And what you have learned from me and what you have gained from me and what you have done with me all these for over these few years and what, everything that's going on, there will come a time when I will go on and you will be left with what we have started. And he says, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. He's transferring authority, not complete authority, but he's giving Peter authority to live out the calling that Jesus has given him, that Jesus started. And so he goes into this piece and he says, listen, I I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth shall be lost in heaven. And he's saying this, he's like, listen, you're going to come across decisions and you're going to come across things that are going to take place after I'm gone that you as the leaders of the church are going to have to make, that you as apostles are going to have to make. And he's saying, listen, and notice that he's also said this before he ever gets to this point, is you didn't come to this decision on your own. You had something working in you, the Father working in you. To come to this answer that you gave, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Guess what? He didn't say, and now I'm taking it from you. He just taught, spoke truth in us, that this is going to be in you. This is what's going to help you know what to do. And so he tells Peter, he goes, listen, at this point, you're go- at some point, you're going to have to start leading this, this movement on earth. But you're not going to have to do it alone. My spirit will be within you. And whatever you bind... Whatever you, the Holy Spirit leads to say, you know what, this is not good. Guess what, will not be good. And whatever you allow, whatever you lose, will be allowed. And so he's got to make some tough choices. And even Peter, all throughout his journey, had to make some tough choices. And we'll get into those. One of them was when Peter was met uh, in a dream. And he didn't defile himself by eating unclean things. And what did Jesus brought down a, a blanket with unclean things on it? And, and he said in his dream, you know, he was told, hey, go and eat these unclean things. And he sent them to a guy that he had to share the gospel with. And then he went and shared the gospel with this guy and his life was changed. See, Peter had to make some choices. Peter had to make some things. But in this particular piece, I'm learning that, you know what, in this, that Jesus set his disciples up. To lead the church after he was gone. To pave the way for us today. To give us his word. The, 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 the words that we get to read in the New Testament, written by his disciples and written by other authors and apostles. But this particular piece, inspired by God, 
so that we know how to live, so that we know what to expect, so that we know how to live our life. And so in all of this, I take you back to this particular place where pure evil was existing and, and the gates of hell was considered to be. And Jesus takes him there and he has this declaration moment and saying, yeah, who am I to you? And Peter responds, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And at that moment, Jesus says, listen, you're Peter, the rock. On this, I'll build my church. And I'm going to give you exactly what you need to do exactly what I've called you to do. And at that moment, as I'm listening to this, and I hear this little piece in my own mind, and all my fears about being a pastor, and all my fears about everything, I hear, I'm going to give you exactly what you need to do exactly what I've called you to do. Keep declaring me your Savior. Keep believing in me and watch what I do. And then this point for us as a church, we will continue to declare him our Savior. We'll continue to declare him our God. We'll believe that every word from the beginning to the end And we'll look for his return, and we'll trust him along the way, knowing that he's going to give us exactly what we need to do exactly what he's called us to do. The question for you today, who do you believe Jesus to be? Because some of you are facing some tough decisions, some of you are facing some tough things in life, some struggles. My question to you is this, who do you believe him to be? And maybe there's one in here today that hasn't given their life to Christ and you're not sure about it. And you don't know what it looks like. And may I just encourage you that in the midst of our world today, that you simply just give your life to Jesus. And you simply believe who he is. And watch how he changes your world. Pray with me. Father God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that in the midst of all that goes on, in the midst of all the things that we face, and in the midst of all the things that come against us, Father, you are a God that loves us, and you're a God that has a plan for us. Lord, it doesn't matter if we're in the most evil of places or in the places that um, are pure, peaceful. God, you are there with us. You're there to encounter us. You're there to walk with us. You're there to reveal yourself to us. And so just like the disciples as they met with Jesus, and they were able to declare who you are, Lord, I pray in my life that I declare you as the Christ, the Son of the living God, who gave his life for me, who walks with me, who guides me, who instructs me, who gives me exactly what I need to do exactly what you've called me to do. Lord, as our church body. Lord, I pray, Father, if there's one here that doesn't know you today, Lord, that they would simply just give their life to you. That today they would choose simply to believe. Maybe they don't understand it all. Maybe they can't reason it all. But today they would choose to believe that you are the Christ son of the living God that gave his life for us so that we can have life.
Lord, for all of us who may struggle and for all of us that may be dealing with something, Lord, may we wake up each day choosing to believe who you are, that in the midst of an evil world and chaos, you're still God and you haven't changed. You're still present in our lives and you won't change. God, guide us. Give us the strength we need to continue to follow you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. For today in the response time, I want to do something. Dale, um, Dale, would you uh, grab a communion plate? And then is John in here? Dave? Rob, would you grab another communion plate, please? I want to do something different today. I want to um, apologize for one thing um, that was kind of eye-opening for me. I think you don't have to stop playing. You're good. Um, sometimes I think we, we um, can get in the habit of just doing things. If you guys will pass those out, that'd be awesome. Um, sometimes I think we get in the habit and we lose sight of things that, that have meaning and that have importance and, and that have something that, that can remind us of who Jesus is. And one of the things that I am reminded of is, is the communion place or where we take communion. And, and for the longest time, we've used oyster crackers or whatever, you know, that particular piece, and, and it was all fine and good. But sometimes when God reveals something to you that has meaning, you gotta you got to pay attention to that. And so what's interesting, in, 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 in the Passover, they would, they would use um, unleavened bread. And if you remember in the Last Supper, they were, um, it was during Passover time, and so there was unleavened bread. And one of the things that was interesting is in Isaiah 53, 53 um, verses five, verse 5, it reads this. But he is pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Another version will read pierced in, uh, through our, for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. If you look at the unleavened bread, the matzah bread, there's some interesting things about it that we miss when we don't pay attention to it. In this particular piece of matzah bread, you'll see holes that are pierced through to remind us that Jesus was pierced for us. You'll also see along the edge, you'll see like more darker parts of the bread. That represents the bruising that he took as he's beaten for us. And then as you look at the stripes, as it was baked, the stripes are there for a reason to remind us of what he took on for us. And when we fail to realize that Jesus gave his life for us, that he was was pierced for us, that his, his stripes bring about healing and that his bruise... His bruising and all of that brings about something for our lives and this newness of our lives that we, when we look at this, we remember what he went through for us. 
in the last supper he broke it and he said take eat in remembrance of me and as we remember what he went through because he loves us and because he wants new life for us let's take and eat and remember that He also took the cup. It was interesting. I told uh, I told Sarah we were going to move to matzo bread, and she goes, "Can we move to real wine too?" <laughs> I said that may not go so well with certain individuals, so we'll kind of stay away from that one. So don't worry, this isn't real wine. This is this is grapes juice still. Um, but this this cup that you hold, this 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 piece that you have here um, we, we get a chance to remember that his blood was shed for us like there's so much shame and hurt in our world today because people are not realizing how much Jesus loves them and how much he's forgiven us like that because of his blood that was shed that sin that we have in our lives is washed away, taken away, and we are made clean. And so sometimes when we, when we get in the habit of just doing things just because this is the way we've always done it or this is the way it's always been done, sometimes we miss the meaning and we just do it out of ritual or we do it out of habit. And what happens is, is we miss out on the opportunity to actually remember what he did for us. And so as we take the cup that, that, that represents his blood that was given for us, that represents the new covenant or new relationship with him, let's take and drink and remember what he did for us. And as he gave his life, as he was beaten, as he was pierced, and all of this, and as his blood shed and ran for us, and brought about forgiveness and he was placed in that tomb David show my last picture please we have joy in knowing that the tomb is empty that he was placed in a tomb and on the third day he was called out by his father and we have a savior that is living and active and has promised us that he is building a place for us that we get to go to and so in all of this as we remember what he went through for us and the blood that was shed let us always remember that the tomb is empty and he's not in there anymore let's pray Father God we love you and we praise you Thank you for your goodness to us, your faithfulness, and what you went through for us. May we always remember that it was through that you were pierced through for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Thank you, God, for healing us and bringing us new life. May we stand and sing in response to your goodness to us.
and your loved ones. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.